All right, and today's scripture reading is going to be found in John 15, 1 through 17. And if you use the Bibles that are in your pew, you can find them on page uh, 1130, or you can use your phone or your own personal Bible. So John 15, 1 through 17 records, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine, and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as have I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that, you may, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I did choose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is God's word. Speaking of fruit, I remember one of the first diets that Julie and I attempted in our married life. We were several years in, but we hadn't had kids yet. I had gained about 40 pounds since she first met me. And she might have gained one or two, I'm not at liberty to say. (laughs) And it's hilarious looking back on it now because, I mean, we've learned a lot about diet and nutrition, really the world has in the last few years, and about um, the role that sugars and, and starches and things play in our health, uh, and how, you know, how they're causing most of the major health epidemics in our nation right now, but at that time we didn't know any of that, and we thought it sounded fantastic to go on a fruit diet, as in that's all you eat is fruit, and this is a real diet, I mean like we read up, you know, on, you just eat fruit. That's it, fruit. And so we thought, this will be good. You know, that sounds like a diet we could do. Like, we like fruit, you know. And so we went to Sam's Club. And they have, you know, giant bags of fruit. And we just loaded up our cart with every kind of fruit that you can think of, you know. And, and we took it home. And we laid it out on the counter. And it was like this glorious cornucopia 
of fruit. <laughs> I think we got through like one meal or something. <laughs> there were some complications in there too. Uh, that uh, Julie got pregnant and got sick, but you know, at the time, we just we didn't make it through much of that fruit. Let's just say that <laughs> that was our first uh, attempt at a diet, and it was our first diet fail. And I want to talk to you today about another mistake you can make with fruit, but it's a, obviously a different kind. And but perhaps the stakes are much higher than your health, than just your physical health. Uh, there's a, another mistake that you can make when it comes to fruit. And we just read a passage of scripture where Jesus talked about fruit. He said the word fruit eight times. And whenever Jesus starts repeating himself, it's a good idea to start listening in my experience. That's not the only thing that he repeated in today's message either. So let's take a look at this moment. Because not only does he repeat himself and emphasize things in this passage that we read today. But there's also the fact of the context in which he speaks. And we've been in this series called Before I Go, which are, is looking at some of the last things that Jesus said, as particularly as recorded in the Gospel of John. It's the last of four Gospels that we have recorded for us of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And in this Gospel, there's a few chapters that are dedicated to some final instructions, if you will, that Jesus wanted to give his disciples before they were going to be without his physical presence in their life anymore. As Jesus turned his attention to the cross, to the grave, to what we'll celebrate at Easter, he had some things he wanted to let them in on. So before I go, you should know, and we've looked at several of those things that, that they should know, and, and this is one of those, that as they passed by a vineyard, undoubtedly, you know, we don't see many vineyards. Maybe you're not that familiar with them. Maybe, maybe you are. I, I don't know. Maybe you've been to, they have concerts out at a local vineyard. Maybe you've been to one of those. Or, or uh, maybe you've been to a wedding at a vineyard. Well, maybe you've seen them as kind of a novelty, right? And I, I mean, if anything you see them, they say, okay, that looks pretty. In their day and time, vineyards would have been very common to the agriculture of their region there in Judea. And it's likely that as they traveled the road by foot, they would run across vineyards frequently. It's one of the main crops in that area. And so they probably were a lot more familiar with vines, branches, and fruit than you and I are. During certain times of year, during the harvest... Or during times where they needed to tend a lot of crops, they probably brought in a lot of workers to work in the vineyards. And so people that didn't normally work the vineyard worked the vineyard for a short time. And so many of the people in that culture understood vines in a way that you and I don't. But just as a, you know, from what I've been able to brush up on, which is not going to make any of us master vine dressers today, but just some basic information is what's called the vine... It's actually a stump about three or four feet high. And it doesn't actually grow any fruit itself. It grows branches. Branches come off of that vine and string along, you know, the rope or whatever that they have strung out there. And it climbs all over that thing. And it's the branches that bear the fruit. 
But of course the branch has to be connected to the vine. That's the source. The vine has a huge tap root that goes way down and roots that go out and gather the nutrients, the life that's needed to funnel up into the branches all along that line and, and produce fruit. And so as Jesus begins to talk about himself as the vine and them as, the, as his disciples as the branches, there's a word picture, a mental picture that comes to their minds, to our minds. For them, there is also the fact that Israel had been called the vine and the vineyard and God as the vine dresser and that they were expected to bear fruit and had not and had been judged for it and had been warned that God would tear up his vineyard and, and start something new from the root, from the stump that was left. These are Old Testament prophecies that they would have had in mind as Israelites. And Jesus, as perhaps they walked through a vineyard on their way to the Mount of Olives where he would pray and ultimately be betrayed, said, I am the true vine, as in I'm the vine that Israel failed to be. And my father is the gardener. And he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. As I read this, it caught my attention that it's possible to be connected to Jesus and not bear fruit. It's just not possible to stay connected to Jesus and not bear fruit. As I looked at this, it seems like there's two things that you have to do, according to Jesus. And the first one is, you have to stay connected to the vine. And the second one is, you have to bear fruit. You can't bear fruit without staying connected, but you can't stay connected without bearing fruit. So you have to have both, right? If you like filling out note cards, that's on your note card today, and so you can fill that out and take it home, and any other notes you want to take on there, it's just there for you, because some of you pay attention better if you're writing something, and so you like that. But, you know, we're not Nazis about it or anything like that. <laughs> Do what you want with the note card. You need to stay connected. You need to bear fruit. If you don't stay connected, you can't bear fruit. If you don't bear fruit, you won't stay connected. Because he says the Father removes the branches that aren't bearing fruit. Because they're taking up nutrients, just making leaves. <laughs> and it needs fruit. So take that branch off so that there can be more fruit on the branches that are bearing fruit. This is the principle there. So I want to talk to you for just a few minutes, practically speaking, about 
how we can stay connected, how we can bear fruit. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. We're warned. Stay connected. Now it's interesting to me that Jesus shares this in the context of this whole lengthy instruction about warning them, I'm about to be gone, here's what you need to know. You're about to not have my physical presence, here's what you need to know. And it must have been kind of mind-boggling to the disciples if I try to place myself in their shoes. Like, okay, Jesus, you're telling us you're about to be gone, and you're telling us to stay connected to you. <laughs> you're leaving, but we're supposed to stay connected. Uh, we're staying and you're going, but you want us to... Now, I think it was just last week that we talked about uh, the Holy Spirit. And so this is in that context as well. Jesus said, if I'm taken from you, then I'll go to the Father and we will send you the Holy Spirit to help you do all that I've commanded you to. This command to love as I've loved you. And so we understand then that he's already promised a spiritual presence, just not a physical presence. They would no longer have his physical presence, and yet he wanted them to stay connected. So I just want us to think for a moment about what does it mean, what does it look like for you to stay connected to Jesus, because we're still in the same boat that his disciples were after this night, without the physical presence of Jesus. So how do we stay connected to someone who we don't have their physical presence? Be careful not to make it rocket science. It's, it's much the same as it is with any other relationship in many ways. And in some, a few ways, it, it's kind of weird feeling. But think about it. If you want to stay connected with any other relationship in your life, what do you do? I mean, just think through what you do. At some point, if you want to stay connected with your spouse, you've got to like look them in the eye right, and spend some time talking with them, being with them. Same for a friend, whether long distance or close distance. A long distance relationship will fade out if you don't ever write a letter or call, FaceTime, something. Thing is, the thing that's kind of weird about trying to stay connected to someone who doesn't have a physical presence is we're not used to that. It's like, when you call someone, your friend that lives in another state, uh, your ears hear their voice in an audible way, and that helps you feel connected. When you have coffee with your friend, you're looking across the table into their eyes, and there's this physical, sensory connection that you have that we're used to and accustomed to. It helps us feel connected. And when you're dealing with a spirit, you can't see it. Most of the time, you can't hear it. God is spirit. The Holy Spirit is 
spirit. And we know that spirit is not flesh. Our bodies are, you know, we, we are body and spirit. So there's a component of us that is not seen with the eyes or heard with the ears or touched as well. But we dwell in this physical body so that we can interact this way in the physical world. God, being spirit, is invisible. Jesus compared the spirit a little bit to being like wind. In the sense that you can't see it, and yet it's doing stuff. You know, it's, it's moving things around. The, the spirit... To stay connected to a spirit feels a little bit odd. I think the best way that we can probably look for a guide on how to interact with God as spirit, with Jesus' spirit, if we're to stay connected to him, is to look at how Jesus stayed connected to his Father. He said, remain in me as I remain in you. And he said, as I'm in the Father and the Father's in me, so you need to be in me and I need to be in you. So we look at the way that Jesus stayed connected to his Father. We know that Jesus memorized Scripture and meditated on it. Those are his Father's words. He understood his Father's will, was able to stand up in times of temptation because of a connection that he had to his Father through his Father's words. We know that Jesus also spent time praying, which can look kind of funny. When you're staying connected to a spirit, you're just talking into thin air. And that looks kind of weird. <laughs> there were times that Jesus would just speak into the heavens. And if you weren't a believer, or you didn't understand what he was doing, you would think, that guy's lost his mind. But he gave an example. You can talk to God even though you can't see him. You can stay connected to him that way. But perhaps the most important thing that we can take away from Jesus' example is how he would so often, and you're going to get tired of me pointing this out from week to week, but he would escape the noise, escape the crowds. He would get away by himself somewhere in solitude and in silence to spend time with his father. We're told that he would often take a whole night when he should have been sleeping while everyone else was sleeping. And he would get up and go somewhere quiet where he wouldn't bother anyone else that was sleeping and spend time alone with his father. As I was thinking about that, I was thinking, when do we typically see a powerful moment of a human being interacting with God's Spirit in Scripture. And I was trying to think of a time when it happened while someone was busy, while they were in the middle of a crowd, and there was lots of stuff going on and noise. And I couldn't think of many examples of that. Maybe you can. But I thought of examples of when someone was out watching sheep. That's a boring job, by the way. From what I hear, they just eat. <laughs> I've heard of it happening while uh, someone was just walking down the road, walking, 
In that day, they didn't have cars. You know, they were just traveling. It's a slow, mundane journey down a dirt road. Where all it is is vineyards, and it looks cool when you first see it. But eventually, it's just more of the same. It's kind of like driving through West Texas. If you've ever been there, just bushes, oil pumps. I've heard of it happening when people were alone, hiding out in a cave, scared for their life, alone on a mountaintop. There seems to be something. If we want to stay connected with Jesus in a spiritual form instead of his physical form, instead of a physical body sitting in front of us, if we're going to stay connected with Jesus, we're going to have to follow his example and find times to get away. Get away from the noise. Shut down the phone and the computer and the screens and the TV. Stop being so busy. I don't know, maybe get out in your yard and watch sheep or dogs or whatever you got. We're going to have to quiet down. We might have to find a time where everyone else is sleeping or doing something. That we can escape and get away if we're going to stay connected. I want to challenge you today to find a time to escape this week. And if you can't escape this week, at least calendar an escape. Schedule it. Book it. Whether it's a 10-minute escape or a one-night escape, or one day escape, find a time to get away, to be quiet, to begin a new practice of staying connected to Jesus, the same way he worked at staying connected to his Father. Maybe for you, it's also diving into Scripture more, diving into prayer more, but I want to emphasize that even scripture and prayer can only help you so much if you never get away from the distractions long enough to really think about what you're reading and saying and to listen. So we stay connected. But the other part of what Jesus said we had to do is to bear fruit or else we couldn't stay connected. He said, That the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. There's some argument amongst scholars as to whether pruning is the best word there or if cleaning is the best word there. But either one works, and vine dressers do them both. And we know from our own lives that sometimes we need to be cleaned up a little bit, and sometimes there's stuff that just needs to die. (laughs) There's stuff in our lives that just needs to go, needs to be cut out. And so, if we're to bear fruit, what do we need to understand? I mentioned earlier that Jesus speaks of bearing fruit eight times. What does he mean by it? Well, at the end of this passage, he comes back to the same thing he keeps harping on week after week since the first week we said that he shared it. 
My command is this. Love each other. Not just love, but the kind of love with which I have loved you. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. To sacrifice as Jesus was about to sacrifice. You are my friends if you do what I command. Bearing fruit is doing what Jesus commanded. To sum it up in one word, it's loving as he's loved us. The Apostle Paul described the fruit of the Spirit as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, goodness, did I already say that? Self-control. I lost my way. And all those things spring out of this kind of love. They're found in it. They're what the Holy Spirit grows in us if we're staying connected to Jesus. But it seems to me that it's not... I don't know, I've, I've heard it made out this way too, before. I've, I've heard Christian teachers say this. Maybe I've even assumed this. It seems like if you stay connected to Jesus, you're going to bear fruit, right? And yet he says, if you don't bear fruit, he won't let you stay connected. And so there must be some part that we play. There must be some part for you other than just staying connected. Somehow or another, staying connected is not equal fruit automatically. Now Jesus is equally clear that you cannot bear fruit apart from him. So if you think you're just going to do this in your own power, you're not. It's going to require his power and yet there's something asked of you and I. There's some sort of effort. We have to do our part. We have to be willing to seek after, to chase after his way of life instead of the world's way of life. This unselfish love that Jesus calls us to requires something of us to deny ourselves what we want selfishly in our hearts and in our lives. We're born, we're raised. I don't have to tell you, you know how selfish you are. I bet you're every bit as selfish as I am. At least I hope so. We've got something to do in our part. But goodness knows, the Lord knows. We can't do it on our own. So we have to stay connected. But you can't just sit there connected. There's something for you to do. So stay connected and bear fruit. I'm just briefly going to tell you the story about this guy. He looks like George Washington, maybe. He's not. He's not quite that cool. But he was one of George Washington's peers. His name was General Arthur St. Clair. And he was a pretty popular general in the Revolutionary War. And in retirement, and thanks for his service to the nation, he was given a really nice post as governor of the Northwest Territories, which at that time involved Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, that whole area. Which was not as nice as it sounds because wasn't much out there except Indians that didn't like him. And so he got out there and there was trouble with the Native Americans. And 
you know. Who's to blame in that? Treaties were broken, all that kind of thing. Uh, but So he's out there and he's trying to make sense of all this. Well, the settlers, the American settlers are getting attacked left and right by Native Americans. It's his job to settle this thing. So the capital makes him not only governor but in charge of the troops. They reinstate him as a general of the military. So he's a governor general. And he's in charge of the troops that he's got, which weren't many. So he requested, aka commanded, as the boss, that they send him more troops and supplies from a fort down the river. He had planned on marching in the summer. Because you want to march in the summer, especially back then. You didn't want to march in the winter. That was a recipe for disaster. You wanted to march in the summer. Well, time rolls by, no troops, no supply train show up. He keeps sending meaner and meaner letters. Eventually, supposedly, they're coming. But he's running out of time. If he doesn't start today and sometime in October, then he might as well not go because the weather's turning bad. So he heads out with his military, trusting that the supply train will reach him. Trusting that the extra couple thousand troops will reach him. He left instructions for them to come with forced marches quick as they could. And so he sets out day one of this military campaign to quell the uh, Native American uprising with something a little less than 700 soldiers and he started them started the march on day one mind you with less than half rations. As in less than half of the food that you would normally get in the army, which I'm thinking is probably not that great to start with. In that era, at least. I imagine the morale was high, don't you? Well, he goes for a ways, and the weather starts getting worse, and he has them build a fort. I think they called it Fort Harrison, which I'm sure they were thrilled about doing some manual labor along the way on their half rations, building a fort, you know. They didn't have chainsaws. <laughs> After they did that, they marched some more. Still no sign or word from the supply train behind them. They arrived just outside the enemy camps in November. Cold, freezing cold, hungry, demoralized. And they just don't have the heart that night to set up fortifications. Said, we'll do it in the morning. Everybody get some rest. Well, the morning came with an attack. Turns out they shouldn't have waited. Turns out they probably shouldn't have come. It's been called by historians the most decisive defeat in the history of the American military. And the largest victory ever won by Native Americans. Of the perhaps as many as a thousand officers and men that he led into battle, only 24 escaped unharmed. Most of them died. The Native Americans had like 60 casualties. The Americans fled the battlefield. They raced back to the fort that they had 
left, you know, standing, stayed there for a little bit and said, well, we can't stay here. We don't have supplies. We're injured. They limped their way back home. And just outside of town, guess what they met? The fresh troops and supplies. I bring it up just to remind us. See, a supply train is a lot like what a vine provides to a branch. Without a supply line, you don't make it very far. You don't succeed in military campaigns. That's a big part of the reason why Napoleon couldn't conquer Russia. As he went further and further into Russian territory. And his supply line couldn't keep up. And they kept burning their crops and he couldn't find supplies there. Pretty soon his troops were starving. You can't keep going without staying connected. So if there's one thing you do this week. Figure out how you're going to stay connected to Jesus. No matter how hard you try to bear fruit. To be the kind of Christian you ought to be. It's going to be an uphill battle if you're not connected to the supply line. So I guess I'm going to keep talking about this because I'm working on it too. And I've got a feeling that y'all are too. That we have to find ways to break away from our busy lives and the stuff that we fill our time with, the noise. We have to figure this out. Because if we don't figure out how to reconnect again as a people to our vine, to our supply line, then we're not going to ever make much for Jesus. We're not going to be able to bear much fruit. Stay connected. Bear fruit. If you're not connected to the vine yet at all, I remind you what our memory verse says, that Jesus himself said that he came as light into the world so that everyone who believes in him wouldn't have to stay in darkness. You don't have to stay there. You can step into his light, into his life today. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for welcoming us, grafting us in, as it were, to the vine. God, we admit that we are prone to stay very busy, to stay disconnected even from each other, much less you. But Holy Spirit, we want to know Jesus. Teach us to stay connected. Teach us what it looks like to bear fruit, to do our part. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.